0: Hello, my name is Melissa Hoffman, and I'm a public health associate at the Medical Society of the State of New York. I'm joined today by Dr. William Valenti. Dr. Valenti is an internist and infectious diseases specialist who has been at the forefront of HIV AIDS research, treatment, and policy since the early 1980s. Dr. Valenti is the chair of Missing's Infectious Diseases Committee and has served as author and faculty for countless educational programs. Today, we will be discussing the Omicron COVID variant and antiviral treatments for COVID-19. Welcome, Dr. Valenti.
1: Thank you, Wilson.
0: My first question concerns the theory that the Omicron variant arose in patients with uncontrolled or undiagnosed HIV or AIDS. What are your thoughts on this theory?
1: Well, there isn't any evidence for that, so I, I don't put much stock in it. It did start uh, in South Africa, as far as we know, and you know that parts of Africa have significant numbers of HIV patients, but I don't think there's anything that really points to that scientifically. So I uh, I really haven't paid too much attention to that theory. And I guess the answer, uh, the other answer is, well, does it really matter?
0: Fair enough. Do you think it's Essentially, inevitable in developing parts of the world where COVID vaccine rates are as low as 7%, which I know is throughout the continent of Africa. Do you think we're going to keep getting new variants?
1: I think that's a good possibility. And I, what it speaks to here is the importance of vaccine and what we call vaccine equity. In other words, we can't just vaccinate people in the United States and expect that we're going to get control of the COVID pandemic or that we will control variants, that we really need to make efforts to bring vaccine people worldwide.
0: I'm going to move on to the next question. Thank you, Dr. Vlanti. And while there remain many unknowns about the new Omicron variant, some estimates show that Omicron spreads nearly twice as fast as Delta, I believe I heard today seven times as fast as other variants. Encouragingly, though, there's additional evidence that shows that boosters are effective at combating Omicron. What is your advice to the nearly 40% of individuals who remain not fully vaccinated or unvaccinated in the United States?
1: My advice is really simple. Get vaccinated and get a booster. In fact, what we know is that even though the Omicron variant is highly contagious, that is more contagious than the uh, Alpha or the Delta variants, it does cause milder disease, at least so far. So we do have a, a chance here to get caught up. But the definition of getting caught up is also looking at a new definition for being fully vaccinated, which includes that booster. So we really do need to catch up and we need to do it soon.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Do you think, and I don't know if this is still a theory that's been going around, I know it came out of Israel, that children are impacted more by the Omicron variant. And do you have any knowledge or comments on that?
1: That's a a good point about the Age range of people with uh, Omicron variant infections. And there are some studies that show that it does affect children and that large numbers of young people under the age of 21 are getting uh, infected. And we used to think that this was a mild infection in young people and that. Uh, Some people mistakenly thought that young people weren't susceptible to COVID, but that's really not true, that if you're unvaccinated, you're at risk. Maybe the immune system of young people, well, the uh, the experience in young people is kind of interesting. And... What we're learning so far about the Omicron variant is that large numbers of young people under the age of 21 are getting infected. We used to think that maybe this wasn't such a serious thing in young people, but that really is not proven to be true that young people are susceptible to this and can have long COVID after it. So the idea here is to encourage vaccination and and young people, and now everybody over the age of five in the United States is eligible for vaccine. So we really need, we need to get caught up here. The uh, other thing that vaccine does, and I just want to remind people, is that it does keep people, in large part, out of the hospital, prevents more serious illness, prevents death. So we need to, again, get caught up and not just sit back and think that this is not a disease in young people, because it is.
0: Absolutely. And we're going to move on to the next question. It seems that COVID will continue to be a threat for several years to come, likely until the majority of the population has been exposed, much like the Spanish flu that spread from 1918 to 1920. And the Spanish flu remains with us today, or some remnants of it, in our annual influenza. So as far as COVID becoming endemic like influenza, How long do you anticipate before it might be controlled enough to gather with family and friends for holidays and other celebrations without the expectation that there will be a spike in cases and deaths following a gathering?
1: The virus that becomes endemic doesn't just happen one day and we turn a switch and it's endemic. It takes place over a long period of time. One of the early hopes here was that with widespread vaccination, we could actually get rid of COVID-19. Now, with significant numbers of people in the United States unvaccinated, we're seeing what happens as a virus like this establishes itself and becomes endemic. And that's what we're seeing. It's going to take several years before we can really figure out where we are with this because it's an evolving story. You know, the information changes almost on a daily basis. So we need to to figure this out. And I think, again, one way to figure it out is to make sure that we make every effort to vaccinate ourselves, the people around us. I include a booster in my definition of fully vaccinated. And also, develop some awareness that this is a global problem. And it's not going to go away, especially with the way people travel in the modern era. It's not going to go away until we do a better job of saturating the world with vaccine.
0: Again, I couldn't agree more on that aspect of it. So that's going to lead us into the next question, which concerns antivirals for COVID. Both Merck and Pfizer have developed oral antiviral drugs to be administered within five days of a positive COVID test. Could you explain more about these antivirals? First
1: of all, antiviral drugs are not intended to be a substitute for vaccine. The vaccine remains the mainstay here in terms of getting ahead of COVID-19 virus. The drugs though are game changers because they add another strategy to managing COVID infections. Remember though, that there is some immunity that happens after infection, but the real long standing immunity from COVID comes from vaccination. These drugs do not confer immunity in people. They do not result in any kind of immunity at all. There are short term strategies, treatment options for us to be using in people with COVID-19 infection. The drugs really haven't been released yet as of December 15th. So we're not quite sure just exactly how we're going to use them, but they appear to do similar things to vaccine. That is, decrease hospitalization, shorten the duration of illness, keep people out of the hospital, keep people from dying. So, they're going to prove to be important. We're going to need to learn how to use them, use them effectively. Also, we need to use them quickly after the onset of illness within five days, now, because that's really going to be important here. That waiting too long to start treatment isn't really going to make much of a difference. We need to get going here. I say that these drugs will prove to be helpful in addition to vaccination and might help us get to what a higher level of herd immunity faster. So it's exciting, very exciting new era coming up. But it also gives you an idea of the evolution of how we manage a pandemic, that some of these new treatment options, new discoveries need to be proven first, need to get into use by people who understand how to use them we need to develop experience it's not going to happen in terms of developing big herd immunity quickly this is taking time and i think we're seeing that this is almost uh, two years out now and uh, we're still struggling with these surges of infection the difference between the beginning of the pandemic and now is we have vaccine
0: Absolutely. What are your thoughts on molnupiravir, which is said to have about 30% reduction of complications, as opposed to Paxlovid, which has about uh, 89%. So is there any point in marketing or even distributing molnupiravir?
1: Well, these the two drugs that are coming into uh, approval, the Merck drug molnupiravir and the Pfizer drug Paxlovid are kind of interesting. I would not discount Molnupiravir out of the door because it has a 30% efficacy in terms of preventing hospitalization, severe illness and death. Because one of the things that may happen, and there is a study going on now, one of the things that might happen is we're gonna use these drugs in combination. Remember that we have a lot of experience with troubling viruses like the HIV, uh, where we use drugs in combination and the two drugs together work better than either one alone. And that's my other point about, we are learning as we go along, it's like uh, you've heard the expression, building the car as you go down the road. That's exactly what we're doing here. Uh, We know that there are two drugs out there. They work differently. One appears to be more effective than the other. But I certainly wouldn't discount the Molnupiravir that seems to be less effective. My guess is that we're going to find some use for it, perhaps in combination with the more effective drug. All of that uh, that story is yet to be written.
0: Excellent. And I know you mentioned that they should be used within five days. of. Is it symptomatic COVID or is it just diagnosis of COVID? Because many people with vaccines are having asymptomatic incidences of covid so if somebody is asymptomatic should they take the antiviral
1: well if they should have a a positive test and they're asymptomatic i'd probably find a way to use it depends on the supply of drug the real definition though of use or the indication is five days within the onset of five days of symptoms in other words Five days from the onset of illness is what we're talking about, at least right now. We're going to have more experience with these drugs as time goes on and as we learn more about COVID infection and some of the differences in vaccinated and unvaccinated people. What these drugs do, though, like Tamiflu for influenza, is shorten the duration of illness by decreasing the amount of virus that's being shed making people less contagious sooner, all of those things. So they do play uh, an important role here. But as I said, we need to learn how to use them. I'm uh, excited about these drugs, very excited. But I also know there's a learning curve that goes along with it. I have had a lot of experience with combinations of HIV drugs and certainly the test and treat activity with influenza where we institute Tamiflu or the one dose of uh, drug to shorten the duration of illness. So we do have a little bit of a precedent for this test and treat style of using antiviral drugs. And I think that uh, it's going to take a little bit of trial and error and uh, some experience with using them, but I'm certainly looking forward to having them available.
0: And Honestly, I would think that using them as a prophylactic, even asymptomatic people might be a really good option to decrease the spread or slow the spread.
1: The preventive landscape is also uh, interesting, and we haven't talked yet about using these drugs, Molnupiravir or Paxlovid, as preventives in people who have been exposed to someone. Uh, that may happen. There is a drug, though, that can be used for what we call pre-exposure prophylaxis, and that's a monoclonal antibody made by AstraZeneca. It's a combination of two drugs with very long names, so I'm not going to say them, but to say that there is a, a preventive agent for people who are immunocompromised, who may not have responded fully to vaccination, people in that group or that risk group. So there is a monoclonal antibody that provides about six months of protection. Again, the landscape of drugs for both treatment and prevention is changing before our
0: eyes. Indeed. Do you see a lot of use of the monoclonal antibodies? I know it's something that has to be infused as opposed to being an oral medication.
1: Right. The monoclonals are generally given by intravenous infusion, but there are a couple that can be given subcutaneously. So that's a good thing. The uh, monoclonal antibody options are evolving and becoming more convenient. I still think they're underutilized. Mm -hmm. Availability, uh, capacity, uh, getting the drug into people within 10 days of the onset of illness has proved to be a challenge. But I think as the pandemic matures, we're going to need to find ways to include monoclonal antibodies as part of our prevention and treatment uh, strategy.
0: Definitely sounds as though that's a very effective use of them. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Valenti. My final question is pretty much asking if you have any closing advice on Omicron and what to look forward to regarding antivirals and other treatments, which we just recently discussed.
1: Well, you know, I sometimes people say I repeat myself. So I'm going to repeat myself and say my final advice is Don't wait to get vaccinated. Don't wait to get boosted because people who have had the vaccination series plus a booster have good protection against Omicron. That there isn't any real plan at the moment to retool the existing vaccines to cover Omicron. That the feeling is that at the moment, vaccine plus booster is effective and good prevention for the Omicron variant. So don't wait, get vaccinated and get a booster if it's time. Then the other advice I have is, get your information from a credible source and try and give that information briefly so that it's understandable when we talk to our patient. That it's really important that our patients trust us and are looking for information and it's important that we get the word out to them so that they do they can for themselves and their families.
0: Thank you, Dr. Valenti. And thank you everyone for listening to this podcast. Please check out all of Misney's podcasts. And be sure to go to MISNI's CME website for all of our offerings on COVID and myriad other topics.